Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, as summertime gets closer, there are some old standbys Yins love to hang around, and a couple of them are celebrating a pretty big birthday this year. Kennywood Park and the Pittsburgh Zoo and Aquarium are both turning 125 years old, and their origin stories have something pretty special in common. It's Tuesday, April 18th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. I'm with historian and speaker Mark Hauser. Hey, Mark. Welcome back to CityCast Pittsburgh. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. The last time you were here, you told me that Pittsburgh's bluff about having the most bridges was BS. You're not going to ruin Kennywood or anything, are you? No, no. <laughs> I promise I won't ruin Kennywood or the zoo. <laughs> but I do need to add a new word, word to our vocabulary. Oh, what's that? The 125th birthday. Oh, the Quasqui Centennial. Oh, absolutely not. I'm not trying that. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. it, though. <laughs> well, let's go back to those days. I wouldn't be like Sophia and the Golden Girls. Picture it, Pittsburgh, 1898. What was going on at the time and what was life like here? Wow. What was it? A big year, 1898, is the year of the, of the Spanish-American War. So uh, Pittsburgh was, like the rest of the country, whipped up in a war frenzy. But also the city had been changing pretty dramatically. Of course, there was so many factories along the riverfronts, mm-hmm. um, not just steel, but glass, iron, you know, uh, aluminum, all the different industries and all that coal being burned in those factories and in the homes too. And you've got the inclines climbing up and down. Yeah. They were kind of routine, not just the Mon and the Duquesne, but we had a bunch of them back then. Yeah. Something like 11. Mm-hmm. Um, but not too many like recreational spots. Like we, we think of Pittsburgh as being so rich for that. Now at the time they were brand new, like Shenley, Riverview, Highland. They, none of them were very old at the time. Right. Exactly. Um, there were one of the main places people would gather, well, both two of them were down at the point. One was uh, the exposition grounds. And, uh, you know, that's where there would be regular shows sort of displaying the latest in technology for people to come and marvel and wonder at. And then uh, John Philip Sousa seemed to come by every year to uh, direct a band. There was a music hall there. And then across the river, of course, was uh, the Exposition Park, which is where the pirates uh, began playing. And they were already well established in the 1890s. But as you say... Uh, there were new parks coming. And one of the reasons is that it was so smoky and choky down there, downtown, that uh, the director of public works for the city of Pittsburgh, Edward Bigelow, made it one of his main jobs to find and set up some parks in parts of Pittsburgh that were a little less surrounded by that pollution. Yeah. 
Yeah, we were really at the beginning of what became an enormous population boom. I think at the time they were just over 300,000 people, which is oddly what we're at now. Um, but that would double in the next 30 years. So I guess they were looking for, you know, stuff for people to do when they weren't working these, you know, industrial jobs. Absolutely. And one thing you could do would be to have a picnic and walk around in air where it wouldn't make you cough to breathe. I know. Uh, so let's get into it. Pick your pleasure. Do you want to start with the zoo or with Kennywood? Oh, let's start with the zoo because even before there was the Pittsburgh Zoo, there was a different Pittsburgh Zoo. I know. Um, and both actually came from pretty big shifts in property. Um, the zoo, uh, before we had the Pittsburgh Zoo, we had the Shenley Park Zoo. What were the politics in play here? Like, why move something to Highland Park when it could have just stayed in Shenley? Well, that's a very good question, Megan. Um, it, it, I'd kind of like to set the scene and picture it a little bit about that Shenley Park <laughs> Zoo first, if you don't mind. Yes, we love a theme. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about that zoo. So I mentioned Edward Bigelow, the director of uh, public works, he was also the parks director, and he had convinced this uh, wealthy old Pittsburgh gal who now lived in England, uh, who owned all of this acreage in Oakland that was undeveloped, to donate that land to become a park named after her. So Mary Shenley gave the city something like 300 acres of her land in an area that was pretty well developed. It mm -hmm. wasn't all cows out there, but her land was. She, she had not allowed it to be developed, and that becomes a park. And Shenley Park immediately attracts, because it's on a, a common trolley line, and that's an element of our story we'll get back to, but so people can easily get to that area, Shenley Park. So it attracts new uh, amusements almost immediately. There's a uh, Henry Phipps, who is Carnegie's partner, builds the Phipps Conservatory, the yeah. beautiful flower, beautiful flower show, glass house for flowers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Carnegie builds his big museum and music hall and library. Also... There's a zoo that starts to come together, and it's kind of a, a, a bit of a slapdash affair. Yeah, the zoos back then, from what I've read and like the few photos I've seen, they don't look like what we're used to. It was like sort of a petting zoo, but like a lot of cages. It's not at all like what we would experience today. No, no, you're right. And what I found hilarious when I was researching this story is the lengths that people went to to populate the zoo with animals. So the city really has no experience in doing this. And Bigelow appoints someone as a superintendent and he lives out in Oakland and people start bringing him squirrels and hawks. You're kidding And me. porcupines. Can They'll you take imagine anything. somebody just coming up on your doorstep with a porcupine? I mean, like, I thought you might want this. Indeed. Good luck. What's a way to make money, right? So uh, <laughs> raccoons, that's a zoo animal that people, deer. Um, it's kind of funny to imagine because a lot of these animals th that we take for granted now, I think a lot of them were probably in much smaller numbers because they were being hunted for food. Right. But there's this hilarious story about a guy that uh, comes to City Hall, three gentlemen, actually, three tall, gaunt gentlemen come to City Hall and they're asking for Bigelow or that man what run the park. And uh, <laughs> he comes out and sees them and they each have two foxes under their arms, and they try to sell him these foxes for the Cute. zoo. Cute. I like the hand motion there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they're clutching foxes. And uh, the headline was, uh, for the story that cracked me up, is Chief Bigelow Growing Weary of Life. <laughs> of, of, of wildlife, perhaps? <laughs> I think he was just so annoyed that people kept coming to City Hall trying to sell him animals. So he sends them out <laughs> to the zoo and says, talk to the superintendent. When they get there, the bear scares the foxes, first of all. And then the, the man in charge 
complains that the city is not paying him to feed these animals and stop bringing animals to him until oh, we can get, because yeah. the bear is going to bankrupt him. And so, you know, eventually they get this all worked out. They get some enclosures. And the biggest change for that Shenley Park Zoo is that there's a department store in town called Gusky's and the owner has recently died. And his widow decides to honor her deceased spouse and also to get some publicity for the store that they will donate, she will donate an elephant to the Shenley Park Zoo named Gusky. Just a casual elephant like you do. Yeah, you just go to New York, send your agents to New York, buy an Indian elephant and and it's there for, uh, it, she does, she delivers on the elephant and it's there, it gives rides for the kitties and so forth. So there's a established though, a little bit uh, slapdash non-permanent quarters zoo. So that's Shenley. How yeah. does it get to Highland? Yeah, now this is the politics, right? <laughs> so Eddie Bigelow's cousin is Chris McGee. I love, by the way, that all of these names are like people we know, you know, like Bigelow Boulevard, you know, McGee Hospital, like it, these, we know, we know them as like established names and like thoroughfares, not living, breathing people, you know? Exactly, on Mary Shenley's land, right? So uh, Chris McGee is basically half of... Uh, of a political duo that are a good cop, bad cop, that are the party bosses that run the Republican political machine that controls Pittsburgh. Yeah. So Chris McGee and, and William Flynn. So McGee and Flynn, in exchange for all this uh, taking care of politics and making all these decisions behind closed doors, uh, they benefit their businesses uh Get, they get rich through various uh, business interests that they control. So Flynn controls a paving company. And by the way, roads are getting paved in uh, this time, 1898. Oh, okay. And who are the main customers, the people demanding paved asphalt roads in 1898? Rich people? Well, sure. But rich people driving... Cars. No. What are they? There aren't any... There are hardly any cars in 1898. cars were a thing, were they? Bikes. Bicycles. We were paving for bicycles. So the streets in Pittsburgh were paved originally for bicycles. Wow. We have come full <laughs> circle at 125 years. So the, you can imagine the old, old, old timers were like, all these cars on the street taking up <laughs> space that was meant for bicycles. Bless. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, Chris McGee's, uh, he's got a lot of money in streetcar companies, trolley companies. So, uh, He's got a line he wants to build to Highland Park. Okay. The new other park. Yeah. And he doesn't love the idea that Shenley Park is so crowded with attractions and Highland Park just basically has a, a lake you can row around in. Okay. So that's what it is. So he goes to the mayor and says, uh, yo, uh, if it's a, in Christmas, by the way, in, uh, in the 1890s. So on Christmas, he makes an announcement. He'd give the city a Christmas present of more than $100,000 to pay for a permanent zoo if they'd put it in Highland Park. And the mayor says, sure. In fact, the mayor says, sure, but doesn't announce that to the public until the day that he leaves office. Oh, so he just snuck it in right, right yeah. under the wire. Indeed. And it basically released a statement with no comment. Hey, oh, by the way, now uh, we've accepted a gift from... Chris McGee and his traction railway interests. That's what they used to call the streetcars. So we're getting to the real why behind all of this, which is infrastructure. <laughs> Indeed. So roads and trolleys were behind uh, a lot of the attractions back then, right? I mean, they still are. But uh, for trolleys, for street railways, a zoo or, in fact, any kind of park can be a way to get people to ride and pay fares 
beyond the people that are regular daily work commuters. Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party you want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. You know, to flash forward just a little bit, I know this is an incredibly broad question, um, but, you know, how would you characterize the zoo's evolution for the last, it's not a century, what did you say? What's that word again? Quasquicentennial. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that. (laughs) How would you say we're doing since then? Well, uh, Gusky, the elephant, made it until 1926, so uh, she's actually buried somewhere on the grounds of the zoo. Oh my goodness. So there's a ghost of an elephant's grave somewhere. No one knows exactly where, but somewhere near the Stanton Avenue uh, entrance. When elephants play a big role in what happens with the zoo for a long time, I don't know the details, but I, I vaguely remember some headlines when I moved here. Indeed. In fact, uh, relevant even today. Another big factor in the zoo's evolution has been the question of, of its budget and financial questions because it was originally owned by the city. Right? Remember, this was a gift to the city. The city was running it, and there was no admission fee. And so it was financially not terribly viable after a while. And in fact, by the time the 1930s hit, it was in terrible condition, and they called a city you know, commission to try to decide what should be done. And they brought, uh, they decided to create a, uh, a, an independent group, a zoological society of people who voluntarily gave money and worked for the zoo to try to help raise money. You know, sometimes through there was uh, various attractions that you would pay to get into, there's eventually parking costs, and that became part of a struggle. So in the 70s, Mayor Flaherty decided we don't need to have these outsiders running the city's zoo. And uh, coincidentally, at the time, the director of the Zoological Society was the nephew of Chris McGee, Edward McGee. Um, so the city kicked out the uh, zoological society and took over full control. And then 20 years later, more or less, that was not viable. So Mayor Masloff privatized the zoo. And we have the you know, regional asset district that supplies a lot of its budget. And Masloff, that puts us, what, in the late 80s? 90s. Yeah. 90s, okay. And then uh, more, more recently, the zoo's been trying to uh, solve a problem that arose, again, with elephants, as you mentioned. So... After a trainer was crushed by an elephant in, I believe, 2002, Mm -hmm. the the zoo leadership got into a disagreement with an association that accredits zoos nationwide over its standards. And so basically broke away from this organization called the AZA. 
And the problem is that the city requires the zoo to be AZA accredited in order to continue having its lease on the land the city owns. Yeah. So the current uh, president of the zoo is uh, Jeremy Goodman, and he's been brought aboard to get the zoo back to accreditation, which they are uh, hoping to have that resolved this year. I know they're applying very soon and hope to hear it, you know, have that determined by the end of the year. Yeah, I really want to see what shakes out with the AZA thing. Um, it seems like it's been a real source of consternation for the zoo and everyone over there. Um, and it's such a cool place and a really wonderful asset. Um, it's good, at least, to see that nobody's been talking about, like, kicking the zoo out. I don't think that's really a reasonable option, but they've got to figure something out with this lease. Um in happier news, I saw that the zoo also put out a customer survey. I guess it was last year. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, something like 9,000 people responded. And one of the questions was, what kind of animals would you like to see at the zoo? Um, and a lot of people <laughs> had really strong opinions uh, about bears. I think it's so cute. What a like what a humble animal for uh, the city of Pittsburgh to be like, no, no, we just we really want our bears back. Can we have <laughs> our bears back? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Actually, uh, th that surprised the director of the zoo, the president too, uh, Dr. Goodman. He told me when I spoke with him that he had expected, when you open that question up to people, what animal would you like to see us uh, add? That you, he, he was expecting something more exotic. Uh, but instead, it's bears. And that's because bears... Is it have, like a black bear, a brown yeah, bear? I didn't brown see. brown bears. I think, uh, I think bears a in general. Bear, a, a humble, humble bear. bear. <laughs> not a great grizzly bear, not a polar bear. Not right? a panda bear. <laughs> right. the, the bear, well, we have these lovely bear dens in, in the zoo that, I remember I told you that in the 30s, the zoo had really uh, fallen into disrepair and was in bad shape and the conditions for the animals was bad and poor Gusky had already passed away, which mm -hmm. is old, old elephant. Anyway, um, the bear dens were one of the low lights, you know, and the zoo received money through the Works Progress Administration, right, through the federal government, yeah. uh, the New Deal in the middle of the Great Depression to modernize the bear enclosures. And so that sort of hand-hewn, stony cave enclosure with no gate, or you know, instead with a moat in front of it was yeah. very modern. And so that was a you know, a, a key part of the zoo for many, many decades, and people have fond memories of it. But do you remember them? Um, I mean, bears were some of my favorite at my hometown zoo, so I do, I do get it. Absolutely, yes. I remember coming to the zoo as a, as a young one with my mom and dad, and looking at the bears. Nice. As they, you know, did their bear stuff walking around. <laughs> but that th those enclosures haven't been used for a long time. I think more than a decade, but there's one, one's been turned into something called the beer den. So you can get your craft brews there. Yeah. Well, so did, did, did Dr. Goodman say that we're going to get bears back? What do you think? He did not make any promises because they are right now in the middle of this, you know, AZA accreditation course, yeah. thing. But they're also going through, a, you know, a, a major strategic planning process. And I feel like he, he led me to believe that bears are in the zoo's future. Nice. Um, well, we have talked way longer than we intended to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this uh, happens when you and I start. I know. Um, I don't know. I guess uh, you want to make this a two-parter? What do you think? Why not? I'm happy to. 
Mark Hauser is a historian, writer, and speaker, and lucky for me, also a friend. Uh, more than a thousand people have taken his antique skyscraper rooftop tours in Pittsburgh. You can sign up for the next tour at his website, antiqueskyscrapers.com, and we'll have a link in the show notes. Mark, thank you for sharing another piece of Pittsburgh's past. Uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I love doing it, Megan. A little more news before you go. Workers at three major institutions are rallying for better working conditions this week. Game day workers at PNC Park, like the ushers, the hosts, the ticket takers, and police at Duquesne University are both on strike, demanding better pay. And employees at the Carnegie Museums of Pittsburgh want their part-time counterparts to get better wages, and a couple of paid and unpaid breaks so they're not obligated to stay on their feet for hours. Now, the Buckos don't play at home again until Thursday, but the PNC union has some fun catchphrases that they're recommending to members. My personal favorite is, quote, the pirates want us to work for nutting. Get it? The owner? And if you're still undecided on your pick for the next Allegheny County executive, Next Pittsburgh and Public Source are holding a town hall with the candidates tonight. It's from 6.30 to 8 p.m., and all seven contenders for our county's top political job have agreed to take questions from a panel of journalists and voters. It's all sold out, but we'll have a link in our show notes to where you can register to watch the live stream. And remember, the primary election is just a month away. That's May 16th. This is where the election will be decided, not in November, so please do not wait to sort your registration. That is my soapbox. Okay, thanks, bye. Finally, jury selection started this week in the Tree of Life trial. The defendant, we are not saying his name, is accused of killing 11 Jewish worshipers from three congregations at the Squirrel Hill Synagogue in 2018. It's considered the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history. He faces more than 60 federal charges, including hate crimes, firearm offenses, and obstruction of religious beliefs. The trial is set to begin next week. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please do let us know. Send us an email, pittsburgh at citycast.fm, or leave us a voicemail with your own questions or comments. We might use them on the show. That number is 412-212-8893. And Zoomers, Millennials, we promise no one's going to pick up. No human interaction required. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. Double the money. Zero times two is zero. Indeed it is. <laughs> <laughs>